Uh, it's always been my intention as a pastor to try at least in part uh, at different times to be appropriate to the season. And uh, I know that at times I've preached a series, maybe not a series, but just a number of messages out of different Christmas passages. Uh, whether or not we'll touch on any of those throughout this month other than maybe on the 22nd, I'm not really sure. I know today we won't um, because I really felt and sensed in my heart that the Lord spoke to me to preach faith throughout this month. Uh, and there are a number of messages that I have, four messages I should say, that I want to preach on on faith. I know I've touched on faith before. I know I've preached a series of messages on faith and uh, these are completely different. I haven't even looked at my notes from the last of those, those series and certainly have been through Hebrews chapter 11 before. Um, haven't looked at any of that. I just I really felt uh, to, and, and sensed in my heart that the Lord was, was saying, you need to preach faith. Uh, whether it's for me or for all of us, I don't think it really matters. I think it's all for all of us. When it comes to the Word of God, the Word of God is appropriate for everybody. And so uh, I want to just, uh, by way of introduction, we're going to take a look very briefly at Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1 and reading down through to verse 3. Hebrews 1 through 3, and the title of this message today is Faith to See as God Sees. Faith to See as God Sees. Sees. The Bible says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now there are very few definitions in the Bible. The Bible is not a dictionary. But when it comes to defining what faith really is, this is your definition. Now faith is... Being sure of what we hope for, now notice this, and certain of what we do not see. Those who live, we look around the world that we live in today, and we'll read the other verses in just a moment. We look around the world today and we recognize that everything that we see in our world that has been man-made has been made from something that you could touch, you could see. You look at our buildings, even our buildings, the brick, all of the mud that went, went into making these bricks and the, the mortar and all of that and the, the fire that was, was made so that those bricks could come out as they are hardened and strong to be able to protect against the elements and the winds and all of those. It has been made from something. Whatever is man-made is not man-made out of nothing. And yet when it comes to God, something sprang from nothing. He made, the Bible says this, let's go on, let's read verses 2 and 3. The Bible says this is what the ancients were commended for. And later on, and we're not going to take the time to read all of Hebrews 11, but later on he talks about some of those ancients as it's referred to. But verse 3, look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe 
was formed at God's command. The great debate in the scientific community essentially is where did it all come from? And many don't really care where it all came from. They just want to try to explain a process by which it came. But when you press the issue of, but where did that come from? But where did that come from? Even the greatest biological minds of our time and any time have to simply say, we don't know. There is an unexplained moment of time where something came out of nothing. Now, some scientists try to say it is the Big Bang Theory. Well, for many, in, in many cases, some will say that's the best explanation there is. I think there is another explanation, whether it came from a bang, because the Bible lets us know that his voice is a thundering voice, that out of nothing can come something. When he spoke the universe, the Bible does not just say the earth here, but the writer of Hebrews talks about the universe. And, the, and scientists, most all scientists agree that the universe at this moment is still expanding and still going forward. So that means that there was a moment in time out of which the universe sprang and the universe came into existence, but how did it get there? And where did the elements come from that caused it all to be? Something came from nothing out of the mouth of God Himself. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know today that we've got to believe that God can do things that are beyond what we can see. In fact, faith indicates that I do not have to see it in order for it to happen. I don't have to see what's going on behind the scenes. I can believe that God is working, that God is moving, and God is doing something in the hearts of individuals. He's doing something in the lives of people. And that, in fact, He is doing something in our own lives, even when there are times we feel as though we're so lost and we're wandering through life, and we wonder somehow, even with us as believers, what in the world is going on? I want you to to know brothers and sisters there is a God in heaven who says I've got it under control and we've got to trust in him now listen one of the messages that I want to preach the the other messages are faith to to believe his will faith to believe his way faith to believe his word we're going to get to those at a later date but today I want us to be able to somehow say Lord I believe you have helped and can help me to see as you see that you, we can look through the lenses not of the material world. That we can look through the lenses not of what we see around us and say this is all there is. And, and really, if it, if it is all there is, it is the cruelest cosmic joke of all time. But I want you to know that it's not all there is. That there is something more, there is something greater. You were not created to just somehow then go to a death at the end of it all. Go back into the ground and you're dust and that's it. The end, no more. You're annihilated, no, that's it. No, you have a living soul. You have a spirit that will live on for all of eternity. And so we have to recognize today that God has something more than what we see. Now I want to direct this today to you as an individual. Because there are times in our lives, and I, I really, I, I intend for this message to be hopefully an encouragement to you as a believer. 
that somehow as you are walking through your journey, you are walking through this life of Christianity, this life of faith, that you will begin to see yourself as God sees you. I dare say that the church, by and large, has an insecurity problem. That throughout the church of Jesus Christ, we, if we're not insecure, we're just not simply living to the potential of what God sees in all of us. Go over now, if you would, to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. And there are three individuals today that I want to talk about along this line. That God saw something in them that they did not see in themselves, but they submitted to what God saw rather than what they saw. And when they did, God did great things in and through their lives. You cannot say, well, I'm just going to live in my own little bubble, live in my own little world, and somehow I'm just going to skate through life. Do you know that God has so much more in store for you than what you somehow think today? God has plans for you that would blow your mind if He were to ever reveal it in front of you. I remember a number of years ago, I was but a freshman in Bible college, 18 years old, uh, about three years ago. And uh, I, I know I'm pretty it's sad if I'm, you know, 21 now, but uh, really, you know, a lot of years ago, all right. Uh, I remember one time talking to somebody, an upperclassman. He was a year ahead of me in, in school. It was a three-year school. He was a junior. And I remember talking to him, he said, you know, I, I can't remember how the conversation got started, but he says, you know, when the will of God is revealed for your life, it's not revealed all at once. He said, it's, it's kind of like, like a scroll. We don't use scrolls, we use books. But it's, it's you know, it's kind of like something that's rolled up. Artists will roll their painting. When they start to unroll it a little bit, you begin to see just a little bit of that painting that maybe it's, it, it's a beautiful painting but you don't see the full effect of it until they unfurl it all. But he said the will of God is, is, is really essentially like a scroll for our lives. That God doesn't unroll it all at one time. But instead, He just bit by bit, as much as we can handle, as much as we can see, He begins to unroll it. And sometimes we don't even recognize it. I was talking to my oldest brother yesterday. Uh, he turns uh, 58 today. Today is his birthday. I was talking to him on Skype, and he said, you know, sometimes he said, I have felt like throughout my life that I have stumbled and bumped into the will of God more than I have knowingly walked into it. I said, amen to that. I know exactly how that feels. But sometimes that's how it is. We, we don't see it all, even at the moment that it's happening, but God is revealing it, and we're just kind of following, as it were, little crumbs. We don't see much beyond that because it's a little bit dark and a little bit hazy, but as we're following along, that's what we're beginning to see. Listen, brothers and sisters, you've got to know that what's written out, what's in the scroll, what's, what's underneath all of those, those rolls of 
of, of things that you can't see is a great plan of God for your life that is greater than anything that you can imagine, anything that you can lay hold of. Brothers and sisters, we can't just sit by and say, well, let me just sort of coast into heaven. That, God is not interested in you coasting. He is interested in you being effective for His kingdom and making a difference in the world that we live in. As I preached a couple of weeks ago, the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the power of God for salvation. Judges chapter 6. And I want to go, let's go to, starting at verse 12. We'll start at verse 12. Judges chapter 6. The Bible says this. Uh, Judges 12, and we'll go to verse, we'll read down through to verse 16. And the Bible says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, I want you to see this. If you're into, into marking up your Bible and it's not already marked, mark it up. Highlight it. Do whatever you do. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, let me just back up verse 11. Let's go to verse 11. Sorry, let, let me give you the context of this because verse 12 is great, but look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So what's Gideon doing? He's hiding. Gideon isn't out there prancing around saying, I'm going to take you Midianites. He's not going out on the street saying, come on Midianites, you want a piece of this? Not at all. The Bible says, the Midianites, if you read the, the part that comes before, the context, the Midianites were people who had oppressed God's people because God's people had turned away from God. God allowed the Midianites to come into the land, and essentially what they were doing was is they were stealing all the crops. You know, it takes a long time for a crop to grow. But once it's fully grown, especially in that time, that's food. You know, for most of us, our food comes from jewel, you know. But it comes from somewhere else, trust me. It's grown somewhere. It's made somewhere. Back then, there was no jewel. He didn't go to jewel and find the shelves empty. He just went out and saw that, that the wheat that they would make flour, they would make bread, or they would you know, make something else. He, he went out and there, the wheat was gone. And so he would sneak out and grab just a little bit of it to be able to eke out a meager existence and have the next meal. So Gideon is out there, and the Bible says he is threshing wheat, not on the threshing floor where it typically takes place, in a wine press. Well, they knew they'd already took, taken all the grapes, so the Midianites weren't going to check the wine press because nobody is, nobody is making anything to drink at that point because we've stolen all the grapes. So they're not going to look there. Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat. He found a little bit of wheat. He's hiding. He's afraid. He's scared of what's going on. He's scared of what's happening. He wasn't going out saying, come on, let me pick a fight with the Midianites. I'm tired of this. I'm going to be God's man of you know, power for the hour. I'm going to get out there and I'm just going to whip them and take... He wasn't doing that. He was scared. He was afraid. 
But God shows up. And you would think that God would address our fears. Oh, Gideon, you know, I know it's been tough. I know it's been hard. I know you've had a really difficult time. Oh, poor Gideon, I know. You know, if these people would just turn back to me, it would all be better, you know. He didn't say that. He showed up and spoke to what he saw in Gideon. He spoke to what Gideon did not see in himself, but what God saw in that man. Brothers and sisters, are you getting this? God sees something in us that we do not see in ourselves. God sees something that is greater than what we see in ourselves. We don't, you know, many people, they, they do. There are some who have, they have the affliction of thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Others have the affliction of not thinking highly enough. See, the Bible says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It doesn't say you shouldn't think of yourself. It doesn't think, say that you shouldn't have a confidence in who you are. But some of us, we live so far below that confidence, we're nowhere near what God sees in us. The Bible says this in verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior? This guy's just out in a wine press threshing wheat. He doesn't have a sword at his side. Maybe he did. We don't know. The story doesn't really tell us. But we know this, that he is not in a position of fighting. And there is not even close to the thought in his mind that he is the rough and tumble kind of guy to get out there and just take on the Midianites. There is no indication that Gideon had this feeling about himself. None whatsoever. But God saw something in him. Brothers and sisters, if we can somehow get a hold of this in our hearts, that when we walk to work or when we get on that bus or when we get on the train, when we get in our car to go to work and recognize that God sees something in us that we don't see ourselves, that we can reach higher and say, God, let your plan unfold for my life and let me live to the potential that I know that I have in you. You've got great potential, folks. Don't tune me out today because you somehow think, well, I don't, you know, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what any of us are going through. Look around you. Some of you, you don't talk to one another throughout the week. Not once. So don't think you know what anybody else is going through. But I want you to know God knows what we're going through. God knows who we are. God knows what's happening in our lives. And I want you to know that God had the number of Gideon. Because you know what? God was going to use Gideon for his purpose. God was going to use Gideon to bring deliverance to a people who were oppressed and who had had enough. Do you know that there are people walking in the world today who are oppressed and they have had enough? They can't find their fill on the job. They go to the bars on the weekend and they come home and they are more miserable than when they went into the bar. They go out with their friends and they think parting it up is going to just just take them to a whole nother place and the only place it takes them to is a place with a headache and vomiting on the street. 
It only takes them to a place of, of, of despair, of wondering, is this all there is in life? You know what, brothers and sisters, God's got a plan for the church, and the church has to rise and say, we will be the mighty warrior, the ones that God has called to a world that needs to know the love of Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross for their sins, that there is a hope in Jesus, that He has given them something that can bring deliverance in their lives the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary. Brothers and sisters, there are people who are hopeless today and they need somebody who will rise up like a Gideon. Now, Gideon wasn't into this right at the get-go. Let's keep reading a little bit. The Bible says in verse 13, he says, but sir, here are the buts. We, we, we've got to get rid of these excuses But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? If there is a verse of Scripture, a question in Scripture, that speaks to the current generation that we are living in right now, it is that question. If God is so good, where is He? And they have a litany and a list of things that have happened that for them prove God is not good. It's an amazing, I'm not going to get into all of this, but somehow we think that the existence of evil means that God is not interested or that God, there isn't a God or that God is not around to, to, you know, to curb it. The problem, the thing that we forget is, is that when God created man, He created man with a free will. In other words, we have been given a choice. We can choose to love God or we can choose to despise God. Now, despising God does not mean that you hate Him or hate religion. It just means He's not worthy of your attention. And we live in that kind of a day and age and there is this question that He asks, but He says this, why has all this happened to us? Now listen, verse 13, where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord, get this, has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. First thing is this, that last, that last sentence that I just read to you, the first part of it, false. Second part of it, correct. He did allow you to be put into the hands of Midian so that you will learn to call upon God and repent of the nonsense that you have chosen. But the first part of it is absolutely false. If God abandoned you, there wouldn't be an angel sitting there talking to Gideon. If God had abandoned anybody, there wouldn't be the word of the Lord coming to him saying, I've got a plan and I've got a purpose. Now let's read on. The Lord turned to him and said... Let's discuss all of your problems. No, he didn't say that. He said, let's find out and delve into all the questions you've just asked me. He didn't say that either. He said, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Look at verse 15. Here's another but. But Lord, Gideon asked, 
How can I save Israel? Now here's the real, the real crux of the matter. It's not that external stuff of what's going on around me and going on in the world and I just can't handle it. It just doesn't seem right. You know, if God is really good, why is He letting all this happen? That's, that's not at the heart of it. The heart of it for Gideon was this. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. You know what he was saying? I'm a nobody. Why would anybody listen to me? Why would anybody follow me? Why would anybody have anything to do with me standing up and doing anything different than what I have done and what I have been doing is simply surviving? That's it. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, God sees something in you and He is not ignoring all of the issues and all of the problems. He's just saying those, when it all comes down to it, are superficial questions. They may mean something for the moment, but in the long term, they are meaningless with regard to you as a believer, to you as somebody that has been set apart to do something great, that when you go in the strength that you have that I'm going to supply to you, God is going to do something mighty beyond what you could ever imagine or you could ever think. Gideon, you need to stop with the excuses because I want to send you. I'm going to give you the power to be able to overcome. I want you to do something that nobody around you will be willing to do but in the end you're going to because you're going to see as I see and we don't have time to get into all of this and we might actually touch a little bit back into the story in the life of Gideon uh, in future messages to begin to see about God's word and God's will and God's way how sometimes it leads you in a direction or it seems so strange what God is actually doing in the moment that somehow through retraction it seems like God can do more than he can with many. I've never figured that out but that's what the Bible says. Now the Bible says this verse 15 he says, or at the uh, verse 16, he said, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Now, I will be with you is a promise to Gideon and it's a promise to you. It is a promise in your life. God will never abandon you. No, we're not facing any Midianites anymore. We're now in the New Testament, and there's a different enemy. There's a different battle. There's a different struggle. We don't wrestle against, as Paul says, against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness and principalities and powers in, in, in high places. We're fighting a devil who is real. We're fighting evil that is real. And we can do it through spiritual weaponry that we talked about earlier this year that I believe God will empower us. But the thing that we cannot forget is the promise of God that He says when you stand and you say, Lord, I'm willing to see as you see. I'm willing to see myself as you see myself. Then He says, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the strength that you need. But not only that, I will be with you. 
Brothers and sisters, you've got to know that when you go to that job, God has not abandoned you. You've got to know that when you walk into your building and you're met with a cantankerous neighbor who just is interested in making your life miserable by cranking the music at all hours of the night, that God is still with you. You've got to know that when you face that individual who's got a whole list of reasons why they shouldn't believe in the God that you trust in, you've got to know that He is with you and He will empower you to stand as a mighty warrior and deliver the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and it will go to the heart of that individual and at least plant a seed in a place that will grow. We've got to believe that God has greater plans for us. That's Gideon. Let's go now to the book of Luke. Book of Luke, chapter 22. We're going to go to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22, I want to read verses 34 or 31 through 34, and then we'll jump down a little bit further on uh, in this same chapter, and we're going to see somebody else that God saw that we probably would not choose as an individual to follow him and to be a messenger for him, but his name is Peter or Simon. Simon, in verse uh, 31, Luke 22, this is quite literally about the last day that Jesus uh, is with His disciples before they're going to scatter and Jesus is betrayed into the hands of the Romans and the chief priests to be crucified. And Jesus has a special message for Peter. He says to him, Simon, verse 31, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He says, verse 32, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I don't know if you caught what Jesus said to him right at the end. And I don't think Peter really caught it at that moment either. But Jesus says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What do you mean by that? The very thing that Jesus is going to unfold in front of him is actually going to happen, and it's going to cause Peter to feel isolated. It's going to cause him to feel as though Jesus no longer loves him or would be interested in him. Why in the world would Jesus ever want to use a guy like me? Let's read on. Verse 33, but he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Now here, Peter is overconfident. It's not that he's feeling insecure. He's feeling too secure in his own strength. Not depending on God, not depending on, on the power that Jesus gives, but this is just Peter and his his impulsiveness talking. And he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. He says, this very day, Peter, 
You say right now that you're ready to go with me to prison and to death. But guess what, my friend? The whole idea of personal preservation is going to come rushing back into your head and into your mind, and you are going to save your own skin. You're going to save your own neck, Peter, because before the day is out, you will deny knowing me three times. Oh, seriously? Not me, Lord? Now listen, let's move down into verse 49. Go to verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going on, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? They had two swords with them. They said, should we strike with our swords? And one of them, who John identifies in his gospel as actually being Peter, none of the other gospel writers identify who it was, but the Bible says this, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Peter grabs a sword. He said, this is it. I'm fighting to the finish. I'm going to fight. And I don't know how it happened. The guy must have ducked. He did something. But he just sliced off the guy's ear with the sword. Let's read on. But Jesus answered no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Right there. His last miracle, physical miracle before going to the cross, he heals the ear of the servant of the high priest. In that moment, Peter cuts off the ear. Peter's so impulsive. He says, no, I'm ready to go to prison for you. But now he's picking up a sword and he's about to fight. And Jesus doesn't want him to do that. Jesus isn't about a physical kingdom. It's not about that. And he goes on and he said, in verse 52, then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders uh, who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but, for this, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Verse 54, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Now listen to this. The Bible says this, Peter, followed at a distance everybody else scatters everybody else leaves but the Bible says Peter follows at a distance we might think that's a good thing right but not necessarily because we're going to read a little bit more of what happened in Peter let's go down a little bit more let's go down to verse 50 eh, 55 we'll just keep reading but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, likely pointing to Jesus. Now here's number one. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Remember the guy who had earlier in the day confessed, I'm ready to go to prison or to death with you? Now he says, I don't know the guy. Here comes number two. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Here comes number three. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, 
I don't know what you're talking about. And Matthew's gospel, I believe it is, records that at that moment Peter called down cursings. He began to curse and, and bring curses upon those that were there and curses upon himself. But listen to what happened. Verse 60, it says, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny knowing me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 61, notice this. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The guy that Jesus had said, come and follow me, has now denied knowing Jesus three times. And Jesus, hearing the rooster crow, knowing that Peter was close by, the Bible says he turned and he looked at him. I have often wondered what that look was like. I have often wondered what kind of a look Jesus gave Peter. Was it a look of, I told you so. Was it a look of, Peter, how could you have done it even though I told you? I don't know what it was. I don't think it was a look of I told you so. I don't think it was a look that rubbed it in. I don't think it was a look of Peter, how could you have done such a thing? He knew that Peter was going to do it. You know what I think it was? Is I think it was a look to let him know, Peter, I got your back. What I'm about to do is going to change things forever. And you know what? I've still got a plan for you. I've still got grace for your life. I've still got something in store for you, Peter, that is going to blow your mind. You are not going to be able to grapple with what it is that I've got in store for you, Peter. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we could go to other scriptures as well. But this one verse of scripture will just put it into perspective. And it will show us that God's plan is not hindered by our failings. That many times we fail God the same way that Peter did. Sometimes we don't do what God wants us to do in the moment. And we think, that's it. God is done with me. It's over. He's not interested in me anymore. There is no way. We, there are other verses of Scripture that we could talk about. We could go to, to the 24th chapter of the book of John and read about Peter's conversation with Jesus on the beach of the Sea of Galilee as they're walking together and how Jesus three times asks him, Do you love me? Jesus, oh, you know I love you, then feed my sheep. Though That conversation, though powerful and great, there is none like the end result. There is nothing quite like seeing it now from the other side of what God saw at the very beginning. Even as impulsive as Peter was, Peter had a habit of putting his foot in his mouth, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Not the guy you would say, this is going to be my spokesman on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, it wasn't John who preached. It wasn't Andrew who preached. It wasn't James who preached. But look at verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. The Bible says this, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. You can read his sermon later on. His sermon is not great. His sermon is not, there's, there's nothing homiletical about it. Those who in, in Bible college who get taught homiletics and how to prepare a sermon, how to preach a sermon, 
Peter probably violated pretty much all of the principles that were there. But I want you to know that what Peter did is he stood up on that day. No longer was this man denying that he knew Jesus. No longer was this man impulsive. But now this man was led by the Holy Spirit of God. God said, I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you die under the weight of your guilt and the weight of your depression and the oppression of giving in to sin and giving in to what I knew you were going to do but instead I've got a greater purpose and a greater plan for your life and that plan is to declare the grace and the mercy of God as it was as it was declared to mankind from the cross of Jesus Christ that he died and that he rose again from the grave so that we could have life spiritual life, life more abundantly, life that is great, life that is beyond anything. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what God saw in Peter was something beyond what you and I often see in ourselves or in anybody else. We fail God and we think that's it. Done. But That's not how God looks at you. You might have failed Him. You might have given in to the flesh. You might have given in to sin. You might have given in to just, just going against God. And, and maybe you've had the opportunity to stand for God, but you didn't. And you think, you know what? God is not going to use me. God is not interested in me. He's just going to pass me by. I want to tell you today, if there's anybody who, at least in man's standards, should have been passed by and passed over, it was Peter. Why Peter? Peter's just one of those guys who just, you know, they say the wrong things. They're not dependable. Get somebody who is more talented. Somebody who knows how to talk to people. Get somebody like that. No, I want you to know that God's got a plan and He's got a purpose in store for you. It's time to begin to see as God sees that what He sees in you is He sees somebody that He can use to bring about a change. The end result of that sermon, the Bible indicates that at the close of that sermon, there were 3,000 souls that were added to the church on that one day. It just so happened that it all happened right at that one time. And Peter was used by God for something that he could never have imagined before the cross. But after the Holy Spirit was poured out in his life, a change took place. Brothers and sisters, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If there is anything that when we come into our services, we need to say, God, you pour out upon me is pour out your Holy Spirit in me that I might be used by you, not just in this meeting, that we would have a good meeting. Listen, it, it, I hope we do. I, I, I look forward to great and powerful meetings. But you know what? The most important thing is for us to be empowered by the Spirit where we live and where we work and where we are. The people that we come in contact with. That is important. It's vitally important that we're empowered by the Spirit of God. We say, God, let me see as you see. And I want you to know that what He sees is He sees a vessel that He can fill with the Holy Spirit so that you can do something mighty for Him. I need to bring this thing to a close. And I want to do that with Paul. Go to Acts chapter... You're already in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 8. And we'll go to verse 1. Paul was another individual. He was like, you know, he was like the, the religious rebel. He was such a religious man. There was nobody really, essentially, and he testifies about this later on in his epistles, there was nobody more religious than he. There was nobody who, he says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. 
He says, I, was, I kept the law. I did what I was supposed to according to the law of Moses. And he says, as to having zeal, you know, that, that let me go get them kind of attitude. Here's how zealous I was. I persecuted the church. Look at Acts chapter 8. This is right at the end uh, of, of the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. At the stoning of Stephen, and Stephen has, has, been, has been, had stones hurled upon him until he had died. And the Bible says that there was somebody there who was basically holding the coats of everybody doing the throwing of the stones. And the Bible says in verse 8, chapter 8 of verse 1, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. The Bible goes on on that one, that one verse and it says on that, great, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Trust me, God had a plan for that as well. But go to chapter 9 now. Go to chapter 9 and we're going to read verse 1. The Bible says this, Meanwhile, Saul who later became Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was their reference to those who were following Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on the journey... Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. We'll stop reading right there. You notice in verse 1, he went from chapter 8 and verse 1 to being there holding the coats of those who were and giving approval to who were stoning Stephen to death to now in chapter 9, he's going to the high priest saying, let me go get them in Damascus. Let me go get these Christians. They, they, have, they have to be put out. They have to be stamped out. We've got to get rid of them. And all of a sudden, on his way there, God was seeing something that nobody, I mean nobody in the church, could have ever imagined. In fact, after Saul has his conversion and comes to Christ, the disciples were skeptical about him. They said, wait a minute, is this guy using this as a cover to kind of snake in here and now get in and from within bring persecution? Now that he's quote-unquote saved, you know, what's, what's going to happen here? But Saul is going out and he's having murderous, breathing murderous threats. And the Bible lets us know that in that moment, all of a sudden, a bright light shone. And you can read the rest of the passage. He has an encounter with Jesus on that particular day that changes the course of his life. Why? Because God saw something in him that he did not see himself, nor did the church. Be very careful, brothers and sisters, of who you pass over and who it is that you look to and say that maybe that person, that, you know, God's not just not going to use them. God can use whomever he chooses. If God can use a donkey to speak to a prophet who's going his own way and doing his own thing, trust me, God can use us. 
It doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. It doesn't matter how against the church. You know what? There have been those who have been atheists who now lay claim and say, listen, I've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. I serve Him with all of my heart, my soul, and my mind. I will serve Him forever. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. God saw something in them. They, the Bible says they were hostile. Paul says at one point we were hostile toward God. But God laid His hand upon our lives through the precious blood of the Lamb. God did that for Saul. He saw in Saul somebody who had zeal. He just had zeal without knowledge. And we know zeal without knowledge is not a good thing. So he's going to now add knowledge to his life. And we know the rest is history. The major portion of the New Testament was penned from the hand of, of, of Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, this guy had so much zeal. There wasn't anybody who was doing the missionary work that that Paul was doing, but Paul became a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ, desiring to bring the gospel to people who had never heard it. Listen, we would look at somebody and we would say they're just so mean and so rotten on the inside. They'll never come to Christ. I want you to know that God can do great and mighty things. That God can go into the heart of individuals and change them for all of eternity. Can we stand to our feet right now? And can we just reach out to the Lord right now and say, Lord, I want to see, want, want to see as you see. I want to see my life as you see my life.